This is a production from The Companion. Sci-fi served fresh. You're listening to The Companion's audio articles. I'm Lawrence Cow. With the Oscars coming up this weekend, we wanted to share this interview that Clint Worthington had with Rafiq Batia on the scoring of Oscar-nominated Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. The film has received the most nominations at the 95th Academy Awards, with 11 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Original Score, and Best Original Song, which Bhatia played a big part in. Clint Worthington adapted his interview into an article found on our website. The full interview originally aired via his own podcast, Right on Cue, back in April of 2022, and we thought it was so good, we're sharing it with you here. Check out Right on Cue for more interesting interviews and perspectives about film, TV, and video game music. But now, the interview with Rafiq Bhatia. Warning. This article contains mild spoilers for everything, everywhere, all at once. Welcome to Right on Cue, the podcast where we interview film, TV, and video game composers about the origins and nuances of their latest works. I'm your host, Clint Worthington, Editor-in-Chief of The Spool. And I have a question for you. How do you put music to the multiverse? Especially when the multiverse includes sights as strange as rocks with googly eyes, people with hot dog fingers, and heads exploding into glitter. That's the challenge that experimental band Son Lux faced when composing the whirlwind two-hour score for Daniels' latest film, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Building on the devil-may-care absurdity of their previous works, like the music video for Turn Down For What and 2016's Farting Corpse buddy movie Swiss Army Man, the directing duo known as Daniel starts their newest work comparatively simply. It's just the tale of a middle-aged Chinese immigrant played by the superlative Michelle Yeoh, who stresses about losing her laundromat and pleasing her visiting father and uh, and her strained relationship with her daughter, played by Stephanie Hsu. But before long, her distant husband, Waymond, played by Kei Hui Kwan from uh, Temple of Doom, returning to acting after decades out of the game, informs her that he's actually from a different universe, and she is the only person who can stop this chaotic force of destruction from eliminating the multiverse as we know it. Kung Fu fights, slapstick, and uh, drama-filled revelations follow, spanning a million different genres, modes, and senses of humor that it would be absurd to even get into in this simple description. But keeping up with such whirlwind intensity in the score is LA-based experimental trio Son Lux, who leaned into all of that craziness with aplomb in their first feature film score as a collective. Comprised of founder Ryan Lott and collaborators Ian Chang and Rafiq Bhatia, Son Lux's sound to date feels airy, ambient, and, and cosmic. There are albums like their three-part Tomorrow's trilogy that already capture some of the kaleidoscopic grandeur that Everything Everywhere needs. And indeed, the score itself matches the dynamism of those 
projects, um, as zany and nostalgic as it needs to be in the needs of the moment while still maintaining a cohesive dramatic through line. It's the same sort of sleight of hand trick that the film itself pulls off. You know, you've, you've got crazy moments and different universes flitting between each other on screen, even from frame to frame. And yet throughout all of it is this cohesive story about uh, generational trauma and uh, and the need to sort of make recompense for the life you've lived and about the road not traveled and making peace with that. And now that the film's been out for a few weeks, I wanted to focus on the score, which is a really, really interesting component of a really interesting movie. Uh, luckily, I got the chance to sit down with Sonlux member Rafik Bhatia to talk about all that. So you'll hear us talk about the film's soundtrack, the unusual collaborative process they had with Daniels, and the challenges of building a house around a single chair. Metaphorically, of course. Rafiq, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I've, I'm still sort of blown away by both the response to the movie and the movie itself. Um, I'm still, so, I'm still thinking about it. I cannot wait to, uh, to show my spouse because I feel like she's going to love it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things. You know, it's, it's always tough. It's always tough to like find time to make it out to the theater. But I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that people seem to be finding time to, to make it out to this one. Yeah, it's, it's a really. Um beautiful thing to see people experiencing it like in groups you yeah. know because you can you can sort of feel all the ups and downs of the movie like kind of like flowing like a wave through the audience it's like right. it almost feels like um you know the way that i'm used to feeling like playing a concert or something which reminds me again like you're you're, you're one of the members of son lux you're one of three composers on this film um That's and obviously great. this is these are two other people you have a very long working relationship with you know you have a very robust uh career with um when it came time to delving into the realm of film scoring which i know you've dabbled you, you you've worked on projects with before um but as a group going into film scoring for the first time kind of how what was that process like what was that transition like um, it was a really interesting and new sort of um, direction for the three of us to do it together for the first time. Um, Ryan has scored feature films before and Ian and I have done a little bit of it in the past, but this was the first time that the three of us really um, sort of came together from the ground up to build uh, a score and what a wild sort of uh, trial by fire it was um, you know there's this movie is two hours and 19 minutes or something like that and yeah. there's an hour and 50 minutes of original score in the film and yeah. it's very tightly scored to to the film you know like the the approach that's sort of in vogue these days in a lot of cases which is very effective in a lot of cases is like for the music to sort of be atmospheric and and this sort of tense underlayer that loosely correlates with the picture mm -hmm. and what we were doing was like very 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 tightly sculpted to what's happening on screen and that is a, a painstaking process and um, yeah we we learned a lot i'll say that <laughs> well and you kind of had to you kind of had to take that approach given that the very fabric of the universe of the film is changing even from frame to frame absolutely um, yeah 
and I, I should say it wasn't the original plan. Um, oh, really? You know, like, I think earlier on we had thought, oh, you know, we'll score some portion of this, but they're also probably going to use existing music of ours under certain scenes. And, um, you know, I, I think what happened was as we went along working on this, we just kept realizing that it could be better if it was more shaped to what was happening because everything <laughs> on screen is just so um, meticulous and so uh, precise. And we, we just wanted to make sure that the, the sound of it um, matched that. And I think that that is really one of the great stories of this film is that every department that worked on it from production design to sound design to music, everyone was just pushing each other to do the best and craziest work that we all could. And yet it does feel very San Lux. You know, I know you were you were sort of like, you know, we need to create original music for this, but this does feel like an extension of your existing work. I mean, there's also sort of like the Tomorrows. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, colors in the palette that you were able to sort of bleed through into the score for this sort of, uh, how conscious was that? How much was that? How much of that was going to be, we're going to build on our existing work for this score? Well, I think we had a really interesting and helpful early conversation with Daniels where they were telling us, you know, like they came to us before they started shooting. It was in the fall of 2019 and it was around the same time that we were working. We were in the studio in residence working on the Tomorrow's trilogy at the time. So um, right. it was in the same season and, and they came to us with a really um, specific set of reasons for why they wanted us to be involved which was really helpful they wanted us to be ourselves they were really familiar with our music as a band and also with all of our individual projects because we all make our own music outside of the band right. and they knew that um the thing about what sunlux does and what the three of us all kind of share in common is this idea of reconciling seemingly disparate um you know elements and what they envisioned for this film was that over time all of the different universes in the multiverse might cohere into something that felt you know um greater than the sum of its parts and that had an emotional weight and so that was their reason for coming to us but they also stressed that earlier on in the film they wanted it to almost feel like you were changing channels and that each universe had its own sort of distinct sound identity that helped establish it for what it was, you know, so that immediately when we're in the hot dog hands universe or whatever, like, you know, yeah. you know where you are. But then over time, you know, these different elements from these things would, you know, um, cohere. I actually got the chance to speak to Daniels a couple of weeks ago, and I mentioned at the end of the interview that uh, I wish I'd had time to ask him about uh, the score for the score by San Lux, and because I'm going to interview them soon. And uh, I think Daniel Kwan uh, took me aside and said, "Ask him about, and I'm going to butcher this, taking a chair and building a house around it." Does that sound familiar to you? It, it's very familiar. We use that okay, analogy good. a lot, actually, which is like, yeah. you know, one of the things that um, this project does that I think is fairly unique um, 
though it it is something I've heard approached in different ways in different other situations. But we tend to start with the particulars of a song and build the general idea around it. Um, whereas a lot of people, you know, the, the sort of approach that people commonly think of about songwriting is, oh, I wrote this melody and these lyrics, and now I'm going to create this musical arrangement around those things to support the song. <laughs> we start yeah. with like, maybe some super particular ephemeral fragment. You know, like there have been mm -hmm. cases where like a song started with the way that it sounded when the compression on one of the floor mics of the drum kit, you know, like brought out the way that Ian dropped his sticks, like in between the section of a song and like it sounded kind of, and the squeak of the hi-hat pedal. And we were like, okay, let's make a beat out of that. And then, right. you know, and, and so like things get built in, in reverse a lot of times and the lyrics are actually often written in such a way that's like scoring the music. You know, it's like what lyrical mm. theme feels at home inside of this world of sound that we've created. So we, a lot of times we build songs outward in this way and it's, it's very much something where we arrive at results that we would never have arrived at if you had done it the other way around, you know? How common is that? Was that unique to this process or is that something that, uh, that is sort of part of the normal songwriting process for song Lux, for song Lux, sort of finding those textures? That is, that is how we make music <laughs> in general. <laughs> right. And it, and not always. I mean, sometimes there, yeah. you know, like one time out of 10 or one time out of a hundred or whatever, there's like a fully fledged uh -huh. song that drops from the earth, usually into Ryan's lap, you know, but it's like, um, or drops from the sky, I mean. But yeah, like, usually it starts with these sort of investigations of sound. And so that was something that we brought to this process, and it resulted in a score that oftentimes feels like sound design. Um, there's a lot of moments at which what we're doing uh, musically has gestures in common, you know, and, and I think that that's why... Um, like a lot of people who have just heard our music as a band have thought of it as being cinematic. You know, people use the word cinematic to describe it. It's because we're we're inspired by a lot of things about sound design, and um, and so I think that ended up kind of coming out in the way that this music played into the picture and part of how we were able to sort of like glue um, the music in, you know, and and bake it in more um, and have it it pervade so much of the film <laughs> right and well with so many potential starting points you know between character and universe and 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 texture and as you said sound design where where were some of the original starting points you really landed on when you started the process of of scoring the film well i think one early realization that proved to be really fruitful was okay so we're gonna have all of these universes right and we mm. because sometimes the jumps between the universes will be so fast, we may not be able to establish the identity of a universe with a melody or a theme, you know, melodic theme as is traditionally done. So let's kind of give the universes their own sound worlds um, as a starting point. And so like the analogy I've been using is, if you think about the universes and the sounds of the, each universe as sort of the vertical threads in a loom, you can think about the melodic themes that we did come up with, which rather than kind of describing or 
pairing with a given universe were more big picture themes like the relationship between Evelyn and Joy or the, you know, Wayman's like encouragement of a kinder sort of approach in life. You know, like there are these short melodies and melodies that were purposefully written in such a way that they could be dressed up to be maybe very sweet or sad in one universe and then very menacing and scary in another universe. You know, like melodies that kind of had this pliability. Um, and you right. can think of those as the horizontal strands that we use to thread all of the universes together. I love that. That's such a great analogy. And um, what thread did Claire de Lune enter in? <laughs> I love that you asked about that. Um, yeah. That... That is a great example of um, how genius Daniels are because yeah. it was their idea to make Claire de Lune one of those melodies. Um, uh -huh. And really that melody is kind of De Deirdre's theme, you know? Yeah. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis's character who is, you know, I mean, Claire de Lune is like, this very very beautiful piece of music that's also like a very normy kind of like quintessential uh -huh. piece of music and we thought like wouldn't it be so funny if in all of these kind of um situations where you see deirdre as like this like very scary kind of menacing character if we were using gestures that were actually just teasing claire de lune the entire time so that when you see her in her like comfortable home life in her relationship later and she's playing the yeah. piano you know it's um it all makes sense somehow um that it's that song and that was an idea that daniels had that all three of us were kind of like that's hilarious but i don't know <laughs> if that's gonna work and it was like the best idea um, right. Well, because, I mean, as you said, the sort of, um, you know, this is very non-traditional scoring and it's very atmospheric and sound design heavy. So to have something that melodic cut through it <laughs> is really striking. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I appreciate that because, I mean, you know, like you said, it's it's that kind of uh, normie thing that, that immediately lends a lot of character to Deirdre. But also uh, it can be used to instill menace, but also tease a kinder version of herself that you sort of see by the end of the movie which is really cool in addition to that you know you you worked with uh there there in addition to these sort of underscoring there is uh there's a wonderful host of songs uh with a lot of other artists you worked with i'm mostly i mean obviously i love the mitski and david byrne thing that's sort of a match made mm -hmm. in heaven mitski david byrne and son lux but i'm also very curious about now we're cooking <laughs> uh the getting uh working with randy newman to do a mandela version of a pixar movie score that he did not score um, but has the same feel. What was the what was sort of your involvement with uh, with that particular? Oh my track? god! That I mean, it was very like that was one of those pie in the sky things where like Daniels wanted. <laughs> what if to do we it. got? Yeah, like yeah. everyone wanted to do it, but none of us thought it would actually happen necessarily. And then <laughs> someone sent Randy the film, and he really enjoyed it he said his wife he watched it with his wife and it was fun i was like thinking about this when you were saying you were looking forward to seeing it with your partner because like yeah he was like you know my wife hasn't laughed this hard the whole pandemic um <laughs> and um yeah so he you know 
was immediately in and um, Ryan got to write a song, you know, because it was like, there was a version of it that was on screen, but we thought like, wouldn't it be amazing if there was a universe <laughs> in which like, we're gonna have him doing all this ADR and all this stuff. What if the song is just ready to go and he decides he wants to hop on, you know? Um, right. And so Ryan got to write this song and originally I think, yeah, like, I, I don't think he intended to sing on it, but one thing led to another and Daniels were like, we really like how it's a duet in the film and we need, you know, like, we feel like it should have the other voice, it should be a du duet. Yeah. And then he was like, well, I don't know who we're supposed to get to sing it. And they were like, well, why don't you sing it? <laughs> and so <laughs> it turned into, it turned into Ryan and Randy Newman you know right. essentially in duet which was kind of a you know like that's like one of those things that you never knew was on your bucket list but it is now right. you know and, you know exactly yeah. and i'm sure it's got to be surreal for randy newman too to be like okay well i'm singing this song that is a parody of the kinds of songs i would write for pixar films um yeah it's it's it's, it's fantastic um and so, you know, again, going back to the the, the challenges of, of scoring, of, of changing channels, as it were, um, was there a universe that was particularly challenging to score to lock down the sound for? That's a really good question. Um, I think, well, one of the first tasks that we received really kind of right out the gate, first assignment, because it needed to be written in order for them to shoot the scenes that it would be in. Um, there was a universe uh, that we needed to find a so sound for that was this kind of, um, it was like a sitcom world that was mm -hmm. uh, somewhat like King and I inspired, you know, that like very much like a, um, there was like a Willy Wonka reference from mm -hmm. Daniels in terms of how we were thinking about it, but it was it was this love theme. Um, and there was going to be a world in which it was kind of a regular um, sort of sitcom on TV, and then there's going to be another universe in which, um, I'll just come out and say it, in which uh, sure. people have, they're they're singing about their love for each other but they're in a universe where they have hot dogs instead of fingers <laughs> yeah um and you know i think like <laughs> if you've ever heard sunlux's music before for that to be the first assignment was really like pushing us about as far outside of our comfort zone as the film ever did yeah i, I think um but it also like helped set the tone right away because it was like okay well we're gonna have to find a way to negotiate with mm -hmm. the the humorous side of this project because it's gonna be dumb and hilarious and <laughs> right. we don't usually do that with our our music but we've we've got to find a way in this situation how early in the process were you involved um it was prior to them beginning to shoot so oh. yeah very early it was fall 2019 i think when we right we jumped on yeah because when I spoke to them, I remember they mentioned that sort of the office building in which um, so much of the film is set mm -hmm. essentially also acted as, as their production offices like, and like mm -hmm. sound stages and things like that. Was what did some of your scoring process take place in that building as well? No. And part of that is because we, you know, like even before the pandemic, the three of us all live in different cities and yeah. we were working on this remotely. We got to be on set 
one time together, and mm -hmm. it was two days before, like, everything went on lockdown. Um, oh, wow. We were out yeah. there, like, we that's where I flew home from, and that was my last flight, you know, before <laughs> the lockdown started. They, they wrapped shooting at 7 a.m. They stayed up all night and wrapped shooting at 7 a.m. the day that the studios closed. Wow. Um, so yeah, okay. so we never really got to do much of this in person. Instead, most of it took place virtually. Um, what did you get to see on that day? Like, what were they shooting that day? So when we walked in, they were shooting the movie star universe. Um, right. And, you know, Evelyn was on the red carpet. And I just remember, like, watching Michelle Yeoh basically shooting B-roll footage you know, like it was just her walking up and people snapping photos and she's kind of looking off and distracted. That was like the first thing. It's just a, a like millisecond of the film. And yeah. I remember watching on the monitor the different facial expressions that like like the complexity of the emotion in her facial expressions for that mm -hmm. like seemingly insignificant scene. And it was different every single take. But right. I, I just remember being like blown away by that, like just realizing <laughs> how this queen was ready yeah. for this, was so ready for this and was so overprepared for this and had not ever been given this chance or this moment. And it immediately took my excitement about the project to a whole other level and then also like walking onto a movie set and seeing so many Asian Americans not just you know in front of the camera but also behind the camera working like every aspect of this shoot you know it, it was really um it was really meaningful to me and uh you know one of the most unforgettable things about that day i think because this is very much a story about a multi-generational immigrant family and it's about sort of the experience of asian americans and um correct me if i'm wrong but you're a first generation immigrant yourself right um yeah how, so how did that story resonate with you as you helped build out the score i mean it was it was very difficult for me to be able to see it any other way you know because mm -hmm. i don't think that i like I, I envy people who were not involved in it and get to just see it for the first time in theaters because, hmm. you know, even just watching the the first, like, rough cut down, I was sobbing, you know, because I, I've never seen something that depicts certain aspects of that experience um, as wholly as this does. And it does so in a way that isn't reductive. It doesn't feel like it's like trying to epitomize or summarize what that experience is. Instead, that experience is like, um, you know, as prismatic and like, like strangely in this crazy, you know, multiverse, like it arrives at a more poignant way of describing that experience than I think is possible like if you just zero in on it and try to, to reduce it and kind of um put a period on it you know and and yeah i mean it's it's really there are so many aspects of it that i think um do that and 
one of the things that I was the most elated by at the premiere was the Q&A afterwards. Um, you know, at South by Southwest, there was a Q&A with the directors and the cast and the questions that people were asking about the immigrant experience, about generational trauma, about mental illness. Um, these things made it feel like everything was worth it because it translated, you know, like the movie made sense to people and they they understood what we were trying to get at and <laughs> it was it was that was like the moment at which i was like oh my god it works you know like right um because having you know i mean two hours of music like we were so <laughs> overexposed we had no perspective anymore by the end of it and oh yeah yeah i, I imagine just being a gibbering drooling mess by the end of yes. it just yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I gotta say though, if if your movie is good enough that it can mine an actually good Q and A uh, out of an audience, that's something to treasure. Because um, there are so many times when that is not the case. So that's really really nice to hear that 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 uh, led to some really good insightful questions. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of the only question I have left to ask is, um, did you sort of catch the uh, the bug collectively as a band to score more? Does this kind of seem like a once in a lifetime chance? I mean, I think both of those things are true we were so <laughs> excited to score another thing together yeah i think though that this film does feel like a once in a lifetime chance um it is a really special movie and it's i don't think i think it's safe to say that there will not be anything else quite like it um but that's also good and i hope that we get to do more things like that um where it's completely different from this but that it shares in common the fact that it's so itself that there won't be another film that you know really matches it and that I, I think if we got to do that again I would be so so happy and grateful and at least we got to do it this time um and I'm so so proud to have been a part of that absolutely well, Rafiq, thank you so much for taking the time and sitting down and talking with me. Like this is again, it's a it's a great film. It's one of my favorites of the year, um, and it's a fantastic score. I can't wait to listen to all two hours of it again, uh, and just then just put an hour cooking on repeat until the end of time. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much. This article was originally published October 7th, 2022. The film has since received numerous accolades and the most nominations at the 95th Academy Awards with 11 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Original Score, and Best Original Song. The Oscars will be held March 12th, 2023. I can't wait. Our producer is Rebecca Davis and our wider team includes Nick Hayward, Tommy Valentine, George Mole, Ben Herbert, James Hoare. Our theme song is by Lo-Fi Geek, and I'm Lawrence Cow. When I'm sitting in my flat in London, it's very cold, it's a bit dark, and it can feel a little lonely. If you know anyone feeling this way, share this reading to a Star Trek friend. Let them know you're thinking about them, and tell them I said hello. See you next week, companions. Hi there, this is Chief Master Sergeant Walter Harriman, your favorite gatekeeper. Have you ever wondered what it takes to become a certified Stargate technician? 
Well, now you can find out because I'm going to share my knowledge and experience with a select group of aspiring and enthusiastic gators. I want to give you a chance to be a hero too. That's why I'm happy to announce that on March 11th, I'll be taking a small number of students for my class, Gate Tech 101. Tickets are on sale now at thecompanion.app slash events. You won't want to miss this because it's not just a Stargate master class. It's a Stargate chief master sergeant class. See you there. But for now, Chevron 7 is locked.